Hi there, welcome in to Downtown, the podcast, episode 45. I'm Rich Kimball, joined by Carrie Haskell. We're brought to you each week by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. Podcast originates from the Zone Radio Studios in Bangor, Maine, where we host the Downtown program every weekday afternoon from 4 until 6 p.m. Eastern Time, WZON Radio. You can download the brand new and improved WZON app and listen to us anywhere on the planet. And of course, we have streaming audio at our website, downtownwithrichkimball.com. Two very fun conversations this week on the show. Just a little bit, we'll talk with singer-songwriter Dewey Bunnell of the band America, currently out on their 50th anniversary tour. We'll look back on the origins of the band, talk about some of their great music as well with Dewey. But we begin by welcoming back to the podcast actor William Sanderson, who's been appearing in films and television for more than three decades now, best known for his role as Larry, the speaking brother of the three on Newhart, Larry, Daryl, and Daryl. But he's been all over the map with terrific roles in both comedies and dramas, film and television, and just finished shooting the brand new Deadwood movie that will be out later on in the springtime. We had a chance to talk about all of that, including the book he's working on, with actor William Sanderson. Ever since you were on with us uh, last year, people have been saying, when will you have him back on again? He was terrific, and uh, we're so excited to have you back and hear about the making of the Deadwood movie. What was that experience like? Well, you know the non-disclosure thing, right? <laughs> I, I have more stuff off the, off the stage. But it was a, a thrill of the lifetime for me. I mean, uh, a lot of anxiety negotiating, and you can't see the script yet. And uh, But really fun. And what the most striking thing was the camaraderie or the warmth or the respect you know, there was a guy who said he wanted to fight me during the third year, I think. And so I don't know what I'm going to get into this time. I get there, and he throws the biggest hug. Hi, Billy, how you doing, man? And it's, uh, and then some others, you know, that one of them said to the director, I hate that character, and he's talking about me. So he did the same thing, gave me a hug. Good to see you. You look great. <laughs> I don't know. It was... It was uh, like a family reunion, but where you like everybody. <laughs> wow, well, that's that's not like most family reunions then. Well, that's that's wonderful. And I, I saw an interview with Ian, and he was talking about the fact that everybody was so glad to see each other and also that yeah. everybody realizes, too, this this will be the last time you're all together like this. So everybody seemed to appreciate it more. I guess, and then there was some, I read these things, and people say in the series ends, and there's tears and stuff, and I scoff at it or something, but I saw a number of people, and then Milch uh, would sometimes give us a pep talk before about your character. I don't, I'm still talking in disjointed fragments, forgive me, but, you know, you, you tear up when you, oh, Am I going to survive? We're back, you know. <laughs> you know, we're only as good as our next job. Right, right. So uh, it was a thrill. That's all I can say. I wish it was more eloquent. Well, I know it's very eloquent, and I know you can't talk too much about the particulars. But I, but I did read uh, somewhere that the action picks up ten years later from uh, when the television series ended. Exactly, exactly. They're celebrating. Uh, Deadwood, South Dakota, 
statehood. And uh, maybe HBO will hear me and I won't get in trouble. The talking points, they say that former rivalries are reignited, uh, uh, old wounds are reopened, and alliances are tested. But I could go on and on, but there's a lot of changes. Short answer, I guess, the toll of time. But uh, it was good to be back, and it was, I feel, as a, it was a gift, you know. Now, maybe you can't tell us, is, is the Grand Central Hotel back? Well, it's there. <laughs> I think they wouldn't, my, the HBO wouldn't get on me. They, if you talk too much on the Internet, they uh, they came down on some person, so I'm sorry to be boring, but they did build a hotel uh, for uh, Sheriff Bullock and his partners all starred, John Hawks and Tim Oliphant, two wonderful actors. Uh, and Ian and Ian McShane is as great as ever. In something like this, where you 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 inhabited that character pretty intensely during the time of the series, and then it was like you know you're gone from it for ten years. How hard is it to get back into a character after a layoff of that amount of time? Well, if anything, they accentuated or his Farnum's. Uh, insecurities and fears, and so it wasn't hard. Uh, the danger in playing a role, um, you start to feel like you're that character. I mean, when I was on the Newhart show, can I do something I never do? I used to say, hi, I'm Larry. This is my brother Daryl, and this is my other brother Daryl, in case people say, who is this clown talking? <laughs> anyway, uh, I wouldn't curse. I wouldn't... I, I tried to... Be that, and when I played bad guys years ago, I thought I was. Sometimes I thought I was a real uh, tough guy. <laughs> it's just crazy. <laughs> now I see myself as a weasel, <laughs> <laughs> or either David David Milch, the great creator, uh, sees me as a weasel. But Farnham's fun to play. He has he has another side. You you may get to see a little of it in this show. I don't know what they've cut out. <laughs> Oh, so you haven't seen the finished product yet? No, I may have to loop it or, you know, go to a screen and synchronize the voice to the action on the screen. No, but sometimes I wouldn't see it when we were doing the series until, and that suits me fine. I can lie about it better. <laughs> so did it give you, as an actor, getting back together with everybody and and when the series originally aired, there was some talk about being another season, and that, that didn't happen. Did this give you some closure, in a sense? Oh, I just wish I don't, I can't describe it. I'm When you're dragging, you're in your 70s, dragging 70, and you get a job like this, and get you don't usually get to repeat these experiences. Mm. Oscar Wilde, you only have one great experience in life. The trick is, or the secret is, to repeat it as much as possible. And even the great producer, Carolyn Strauss, said, when you have that experience, you don't get the chance sometimes to go back and repeat it. So it was fun. It was. uh, Yeah, uh, closure. Uh, Well, they talk about doing another one. What Hmm. What if they, by surprise, the reboot, had a lot of eyeballs you know i 
I uh, don't like to think about that. I often think I want it to come out while I'm still alive, just like the book I'm struggling with, proofreading, if I may say. Uh, but uh, anyway, couldn't be more fun. And uh, they say it'll be out in May. That's uh, that's not the official word from HBO, but that's what Ian said and a friend of mine, Dayton Cowley, who's lives in L.A., so they hear things more than I do. Well, if we hear it from Al Swearingen, we're, we're going to believe that we're talking with William Sanderson here on Downtown. And Bill, last time you were on with us, uh, we, we talked about uh, a little bit about the book and, and how that was going, and you mentioned it. You're in the, the proofreading phase. How is that process going for you? Uh, I, it, it is the hardest thing I've ever done. Thank you for asking about it. I said, oh, my goodness. I said to Sharon, he'll ask me. I have the cover. They sent me the cover, but you can't really judge it by the cover. <laughs> no, that's what they say. <laughs> but, uh, it's a younger picture of me, so. but I truly believe that someone can order it before Deadwood comes out. That was always the dream. If I were a real writer, uh, they would have months and months of notice ahead of time, but it's uh, closer than it's ever been, and... I'll have to shoot myself if, if something happens, but we're working on it daily. And uh, to be honest, you want to know, it's self-published. So, But we had an offer to publish it, and they want to control things. And the agent literary agent said, I think you should self-publish it after months of And so I can control it better. And uh, might make a little money. more. Well, you would make more money, but I never wrote it for that idea. Well, that sounds great. Now, did you settle on a title? Yeah, yeah, but I, I'm a little scared to say that. I, I guess, I mean, you've been so nice to me. But it, it's just, uh, yes, I'm that. I'm that guy, the rough and tumble life of a character actor. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Well... It's God. I have more defects than virtues, and we got a lot of <laughs> self-destruction in there. And I sure hope that it uh, people get to see it. Well, yeah. When you were with us last time, I mean, you were very open about some of the struggles you've dealt with through the years, and I I think that's going to be wonderful for people uh, in, in any line of work, but actors. Anybody who is who's dealing with some of those challenges along the way, I think they'll find it inspirational that you can you can come out on the other side and continue to have great success. That's really kind of you. I, um, you know, every actor you'll see them. Oh, I had a tough childhood, or oh, I drank, or oh, I, I got all I got all that in a precarious childhood. I'll put it that way. But what I feel like I'm very happy, and I reached my dreams. You know, it's uh. Well, and, and you know, you, I got most of life's prizes. We, I feel like I'm well off, and a wonderful family, and so forth. So I had to. Uh, I, I don't know. I, ho I hope it inspires some people. Well, I'm sure it will, and, and you did that, as so many have, uh, with the help of, uh, as you mentioned, an awfully strong family, and and that starts with your wife. And and, and you've said you you probably wouldn't be here if you hadn't met her. That's what I'm told, and. Um, uh, she tries to do the right thing, you know, and um, I'm reminded, I think, 
some of the results in the book are like a psychiatrist said to me, you guys take a lot of rejection. Somebody has to pay for that. So in between jobs, I self-destruct. But Sharon is a saint, which I, and um, she's immense help. If you drank a long time ago, um, uh, uh, she remembers things better than I do. I, I'm afraid I'm talking too much. No, not at all. I'm about no. book, but uh, I could tell one story kind of made it quick. We have a oh, guy yeah. collaborating. My, I had 900 pages of notes. So I had no way to organize it. So he's a uh, Hollywood writer, and uh, <clears throat> he said, "I said, well, I, I stopped drinking." He said, "You really you stopped, or you just slowed down, or cut back?" And it made me think. So from the time we started working seriously on this thing, I stopped drinking completely. Hadn't oh. touched it, but God, that's boring. Uh, <laughs> young people are saying, "I'm not gonna read his book, old fart." <laughs> but but uh, I might fall off the wagon and it runs over my foot. <laughs> We're talking. But with... I, I thank my friend for co- who collaborates with me for saying, "Did you really stop?" Oh yeah. You need that voice. So we're talking with Bill Sanderson. Uh, well, let's mention, too, while we've got you here, uh, the Facebook page, which is so good, and, and Instagram as well, which has been a great way for fans to connect with you. Oh, thank you. I, I do. Uh, I'll draw, I'm so old, I'll start uh, uh, actor slash William. What is it? William Sanderson actor. Well, they, they can find it anyway. Uh, and and uh, Nick from Ten Can Media helps me with the Facebook. Sharon helps me, and uh, what is it? The actor slash William slash uh, Anderson. Yeah, on Instagram, right? What's called? But I'm, I see it every day. I could look it up. Yeah, well, we can do that for a year. We we talked last time you were on about some of the people you worked with early in your career. What, was there somebody, was there one actor that you worked alongside early on that you uh, either learned a lot from or, or took things from or influenced you to, to, to stick with it? Because the life of a character actor can be a challenging one. Uh, well, early on, you know, when I was a kid, I watched Lee Marvin and Charles Bronson, these people, and then got to work with them. But I don't know. I saw a Broadway play in the 60s with George Scott, and he inspired me. But early on, we were all struggling actors. William Hickey was a great teacher of oh, mine. Yeah. He was nominated for an Academy Award for Pritz's Honor. I feel like I should insert some names of people who are still alive. I just <laughs> know that a lot of young people listen to your show. And congratulations, it's during that drive time slot, isn't it? It is, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Yes, uh, but I don't know if I answered your question. I would say all of them. <laughs> Carrie, did you find the uh, the Instagram, the official address here? Uh, yeah, it's actor underscore William underscore Sanderson. If you're uh, searching for William Sanderson on uh, on Instagram. And uh, williamsanderson.net is the website to check out. Some, I remember your your website has some just great photos uh, from your career. And then on Facebook, it's official William Sanderson fan page. Well, that shows you. People say, you're going to work more? I just wanted to get through this. It's just a little hard when you, you're 75 and you draw blanks, you know. But I got through the show pretty well in spite of my 
uh, decrepitude. <laughs> uh, so the the photos on your website uh, they, they cover a lot of your career. Um, is that uh, have you integrated a lot of photos or planning to into the book? Oh, that's a sweet question. You know, my wife uh, took a lot of pictures, and I didn't even know she took them, and so. Uh, she had been putting them away. So there are some that have never been seen and some that are rarely uh, seen. But, uh, yes, thank you for asking that. There's quite a few that nobody's seen. Uh, and it would probably be black and white. We could put the color pictures, but you have to charge so much. Mm. I don't want the people not buying the book because color photos, uh, everything is expensive, but... I, I, uh, I've seen the, the, what is it, pro- prototypers, and I've seen the pictures. Mm. I thank my wife. <laughs> uh, we long, were lo- long answer to your question. We were looking at the Facebook page, and uh, one of my favorite character actors, uh, you posted a picture with him uh, from when you did Wagons East. Uh, Ed Lauder was such a, a talented guy. Oh, he was. He was wonderful. And I was shocked when he passed away. Um, you know, yes, he's a sweet man, too. He invited me to a film festival one time, and uh, that was nice of him. I'm, I'm trying to think. You know, he could sing. He could do a lot of things. Mm. Made friends with Lee Marvin, which is no easy task if if the actor's been dead for many years. But he won an Academy Award for Cat Baloo. Now, he played everything as a drunk. But Now, since we had you on, we also had on the show uh, Miss Stephanie. Julia Duffy was on with us. Oh, and she has a book. She does, and we talked with her about her book, Bad Auditions. Yeah. I, boy, she stole my idea. I wanted to do that. But <laughs> I did see her out in California and her handsome husband. I met their children. They're fully grown now. But she's a very smart lady. And uh, I think she just did a job called The Kids or something on TV. With, uh, I forget, but yeah. Yeah, I think she's she, doing, is it uh, the, the Cool Kids? with uh, yeah. It's quite a cast. Jamie Farr is in there. Very talented group. Yeah, and they had Joanna Cassidy uh, do one who was in Blade Runner. And Joanna has been on with us since we talked to you last as well. We're we're gathering up all your old colleagues. I better be careful what I say. <laughs> uh, but Joanna has a book. Uh, she may not have told you, but this is the hardest working woman, and she goes all around the country to shows. I, I can't do that as much anymore, and I did some autograph shows. But she's got a great following, and she's still beautiful. And uh, I guess I can tell one story on her. Oh, please do, yes. I was on Deadwood, and um, the... I think Mark Tinker, who started MTM, his son, a tinker anyway, was directing. And and he came to the set one day and he said, I got a call from your friend, Joanna Casty. She wanted to join the cast, but he used that word. You know, everybody's your friend. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I just admire her, though. I I think we're quasi-friends. She knows I respect her, but... uh, she is a beautiful leading lady type, and I'm a humble character actor, so I watch my. I'm careful <laughs> with her. 
Well, Bill, it's it's just a delight to have you uh, join us again, and great to catch up with you. We can't wait to see uh, the Deadwood movie, which should be coming out sometime in May. And please hope you'll come back uh, when the book is ready to go. We would love to talk about the book when it's uh, about to be published, or even before or whenever you want to come back. We'll always have you on with us. We love it. Oh, that's that's kind in the uh, Stephen King environment. I'm always intimidated. Ah. <laughs> He's, but, uh, he's like a big, you. cuddly teddy bear. Is he? Oh, yes, absolutely. But me, us talking about books and stuff around the genius type <laughs> is, uh, I believe you. I believe you. The story I think I told you before, I, I had a positive attitude because he, I heard he sometimes would give early on. Production company maybe didn't have as much money to do a movie mm. as opposed to some big studio. And I said, I like that, you know. Absolutely. I don't know. Hearsay, fact based on hearsay. Well, I will say if it's if it's something like that where he's helping out, it's it's probably the real deal because that that's the kind of guy we know him to be. Well, the beautiful see the beautiful. Take care, okay. That's William Sanderson here on Downtown the Podcast. When we come back, we'll talk music. Dewey Bunnell of America up next on Downtown the Podcast. Since its founding in 1954, Cross Insurance has grown from a small family-owned agency that started in Bangor, Maine, into one of the largest super regional insurance agencies in New England. With the network of offices throughout New England, Cross Insurance works with top carriers to provide maximum value to you, your family, and your business. We are proud to be the official insurance broker of the New England Patriots and would welcome the chance to provide security for your team. For more information, visit CrossInsurance.com. Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. That song was the first hit for the band America, written by lead singer Dewey Bunnell. America made up originally of Dewey, Dan Peake, and Jerry Beckley, who were three high school buddies living in England because their dads were all in the Air Force. Dan left the band in 1977, passed away just a few years back, but Dewey and Jerry still touring the world with their terrific band and celebrating their 50th anniversary with a tour that's underway right now. We had a chance to talk about the band's origin and their 50 years of making music with America's Dewey Bunnell. Well, let's talk about uh, this tour and, and the history of the band. 50, 50 years together by the time you wrap up this tour. Now, a lot of bands take hiatus, uh, break up, get back together. What's been the key to, to you and Jerry staying together for half a century? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I don't know where the last you know, 25 years went, uh, but it seems like we've just plotted on, you know, we, we, this is what we did from the time we were teenagers. Uh, and we, when we met in high school and we were so fortunate that it turned into a career and a lasting career at that. And we've just been, uh, we still enjoy it. We still are maintaining our health to whatever degree anybody can do that consciously and, and keeping it going. Uh, but you're right. We we never really left the road. We've had the usual ups and downs of any band, uh, and of course we lost our pivotal third member, Dan Peake, both physically and uh, mm. and as a band member. He left the band in 1977, but he was a key element to the first uh, 
five, six years of the band and writing and those core years in the 70s, and then he passed away in 2011. But that was a, the first big change. But Jerry and I have have carried on, you know, with the band, the, the touring band, and um, we do that more than recording any anymore. And we just love the live show. It's just something that, it's a tangible, real, real time thing where you're you're right there, physically in contact with your music and your songs, and and playing them live every night. And it's a it's a really a satisfying thing. We're we're very grateful that it's still working for us. You know, is that a change for you from the early days when you were uh, you'd done a lot of work in the studio, you made a lot of demos before you yeah. got the big break, but but you weren't always sure how the live shows were going to be received in those early days. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was on-the-job training. I mean, when you consider we were teenagers, you know, 17, 18, and 19, when we formally formed in 1970 after graduating from high school in 1969. We just basically morphed from high school. But to be writing these songs on our acoustic guitars and, and arranging the vocal harmonies, without any real uh, working them on the road to speak of or, or putting together a live show. It was getting the songs together first, and then to have such a huge success with the first album and the first single, Horse with No Name and, and the America album, to be thrown in the deep end of a live show. And we relocated from London, England, where we started to L.A. to be with the parent company, Warner Brothers, and David Geffen and Elliot Roberts were managing us with their stable of great artists that we looked up to, CSN and Neil Young, and the Eagles were just starting. But they were all much more seasoned, and they had had a lot more time on the road. We hadn't. And then to be thrown in, you know, we had a huge tour with Jackson Brown opening for us that first year in 72, going out. And there were a lot of growing pains. You know, we were just not... We had to get a rhythm section first off. We had to have a drummer and a bass player. And, you know, it took a lot, a long time to get comfortable and to understand the nuts and bolts of a touring band with a, with big PAs and a big production and and everything, you know. I wasn't even that verse on an electric guitar, to be honest. I was so learning amps and foot pedals and all of that stuff. But that seems like a lifetime ago now. <laughs> Rich, you've uh, you've talked about your influences and the Everly Brothers uh, high on the top of that list. The Beatles, of course, and, and growing up as you did right in the middle of the London music scene of the late '60s. But but before that, if I remember right, your dad was stationed at Vandenberg Air Force Base, and and that's where you learned your love of uh, surf music, folks like Dick Dale and the Deltones, of course, the Beach Boys. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, uh, that was terrific. I I sort of. That's where I first started to learn to play guitar. It was like 62, 63, and I was like in the 7th or 8th grade, and I learned those surf guitar tunes, the licks, and Walk, Don't Run, and, and the Beach Boys music was permeating me. But, you know, being in an Air Force family, that was in real time, and that was the whole surf scene in the West Coast, but it wasn't. I was, again, a spectator of sorts, because in no time we moved again to Biloxi, Mississippi, or Omaha, Nebraska. We moved around. So, but I, I absorbed that whole thing, and really loved it. And it was, you know, it was a coming of age time. And I remember um, I'd listen to my parents' music, and 
I guess I sang Hound Dog when I was five years old or something, <laughs> Elvis. And, and, you know, I was, it wasn't a serious thing, but the music became, started to become more and more important to me. And, and it became a part of my life, as it did with everybody in my generation in general, I think. It became a real, uh, a real central focus, at least it was for me. So, so basically, Ventura Highway, that song, emerged from my time mm. living at Vandenberg Air Force Base, like you said. that was. We also were stationed then a few years later up in uh, the Bay Area. My dad was stationed. Uh, we lived in San Jose, California, another base up there, so there was a little more California element. But everybody thought we were a California band when we came out in when when we uh, moved back from England with this band America and we were there of course there was the confusion that it was a band from England called America <laughs> so it, it was very confusing <laughs> but we did absorb all kinds of musical styles Dan was originally from Missouri and had roots there and so he's always he was always sort of our country element a little bit country type of style and Jerry had been schooled on piano and he was a little more classically trained so he was uh he wrote more of our ballads and piano based songs still does and so we had a nice combination of influences and, and but we all came together on whatever the hits were of the day we all waited with bated breath for the next Beatle album released and everybody was counting the the minutes for those kind of events cuz it really was a focus music and the bands you loved, and when's the next album coming out, and all that. Now, is the story true that when you guys were working on the first album, the assumption throughout that was that I Need You would be the first single, but then kind of last minute, Warner Brothers went with Horse With No Name? Yeah, it was it was a real case of going with the, with the song that is obviously got a solid basis. It was like a, it's almost a standard the day Jerry wrote it. It sounded like a song we'd heard, and I think Warner Brothers, the powers that be there, realized that was a safe bet single to start to get our toe in the water, and we did too. And as we recorded the album, the tunes on that first album, that was always our focus as going to be the single. This will lead the way, and then we can do something that, that may be a little more adventurous. And as it turned out, um, we'd written another batch of songs, after the first album was pretty much in the can. And actually, the first album came out without Horse With No Name on it. There's a, it's one of our a collectible, if you will. But as soon as it was almost simultaneous, we were in recording four more songs, of which Horse With No Name was one. When the, when the, when the parent company, their Warners, heard those, they said, wait a minute, everybody's leaning towards that. We're going to put that out as the single. So they went to total opposite from the tried and true safe bet, I Need You, a ballad, a nice strong song, which went on, by the way, to be a hit of its own and is our most covered song. It's been covered by everybody from Johnny Mathis, you know, to Harry Nielsen. It was a, it was a, a standard. It did become a standard in its own way. So, but, you know, they went, to, they went the far, they swung all the way over to a, basically a novelty song horse with no name for me at the time i wrote it it was it was um you know just a, a travelogue it was sort of my fantasizing about times i spent in the desert and and uh 
you know, getting out of the cold, rainy weather of England type thing. And, and you've said, too, that you uh, you think of it as that you write the outdoor songs, Jerry writes the indoor songs. Yeah, that's the, we kind of realized that after a while, that those that, that that's a pretty well nutshell way to say we write. I mean, it's just a real good fortune that timing and everything that happened with the beginning of our career and the three of us coming together with different styles, different voice, vocals, I mean, the, the harmony, singing three-part harmony is a magical thing that you can't really put a finger on. And different voices, the quality of different voices, everybody's voice is different. It's like a fingerprint. To get three of them or four of them or layered uh, harmonies, you never know what you're going to get. Mm. It can Sometimes it's, n- it's not quite as sweet sounding. You may be hitting the notes, but the quality of your voice, maybe not, doesn't blend with another voice. So we were just so fortunate that the three of us, different writing styles, the three different voices, you know, all came together. And yeah, Jerry, as you look back, he wrote the, the ballads, it seems, more of the love songs, the indoor songs, if you will, and my songs tended to be a little more uh, visual, outdoor songs. So. We're, we're talking with Dewey Bunnell of America. They come to Aura in Portland on March 16th on the 50th anniversary tour. Anybody who knows the band just from the singles, first of all, I think they're missing out because those of us who've loved the albums appreciate the, the wide range of styles that you guys play on the album and the deep cuts and, and some of the interesting collaborations through the years. One of my favorites is with a great friend of our show who's been on with us a number of times and when you guys worked with Jimmy Webb on The Last Unicorn. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Jimmy is another sort of mentor type with us. We've been so lucky, too. Again, because we started as these young teenagers coming to L.A. with a big hit record, we we were green as you get. And uh, we Jimmy Webb, when we met Jimmy, we'd already were, even in high school, we'd sang, by the time I get to Phoenix and um, Galveston or something, I, I don't know which songs we sang, but it was great. He, he's just been... Uh, He's Jerry's son's godfather. We were fortunate to get him in our heyday when we were flying around in our private plane with the band and playing the big arenas and everything. We were able to talk him in to come out and be our opening act, which was not something he did very well. And I don't know how comfortable he was with it, but he loved it. We had a great time. And here we had this feather in our cap. We had this, you know, one of the quintessential songwriters of our time out there with all his great songs. <clears throat> and yes, then the last unicorn was, he was always pretty busy, Jimmy, writing, 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 and he got involved in that film, animated film, The Last Unicorn, and he wrote the songs, and he said, I want you guys to sing them. It was Jerry and I at that point. Dan had left the band, so so that's another great thing that we can say we had a part of. Um, we do sing the, the title song, The Last Unicorn, now and then, it, it works best with sim- well, it works that good either way. But we play some symphony shows, a half a half a dozen symphony shows usually a year, and it works really great with a symphony. You've said earlier the focus is on the live performances, but you still record. Uh, I loved I love back pages. That was a great collection of covers. I think your version of Time of the Season is absolutely fantastic. Any chance of a, a volume two of that? Well, thank you for that, Rich. Because yeah, that was something that I was really proud of. Uh, because every band wants to do, you know, their favorites and a, a collection of songs that we picked up really at random. But um, yeah, we'd love to do another back pages too. Uh, 
scheduling is everything. We're getting older, um, and you know, we're, we're we're we would not discount that happening uh, in this new year. We've been focused on this 50th anniversary thing because it's a huge milestone, and obviously, it's another you know uh, pushing off point for the touring, and it's initiated a huge. Uh, excavation of old material and old. Uh, we've done this a little bit before. We got our toe in the water with an archives album, but now we're going through all these hard drives. We've got a, an archivist in Jeff Larson. There's a, uh, a documentary coming together. Um, we we recently filmed a live show at the London Palladium out in in, in London that was uh, really great and a huge multi-camera thing. We've even got a lady writing our biography. So all of these things are taking up a hell of a lot of our time right now, in addition to touring, just wading through stuff. There's everything from 8mm films to live broad TV shows, you know, and the Merv Griffin show or <laughs> Dick Cavett or whatever. They're pulling all this stuff together to uh, put together a documentary, which is exciting, and it, it really uh, tells the tale in a lot of ways, good Wait. or bad, of what, what we've done over the years, lots of things. We got still... But we'll probably put together a list of, you know, songs that we love that inspired us and give it a shot again on our back pages, too. I do it. The record business is so funny because of what what's getting promoted and what's getting played. I, I was back re-listening to Here and Now. Yeah, Ride On in any other time and place would have been a huge hit. Thank you. Yeah, that was a uh, that was a good one, and um, I, that project was good. It was at that point in our career, we had these independent uh, labels and things were one offs and this. Why don't we try this? And we loved this band, Fountains of Wayne, and Jerry had mm. reached out to Adam Schlesinger, one of the writers and producer of that band, and one thing led to another, and before we knew it we were putting together songs for this project that he was going to produce, and he did, along with his co-producer, um, James Eha from Smashing Pumpkins. So it was us kind of coming with, into a new, younger generation of artists and, and people, and Jim James, My Morning Jacket, and, um, dare I say, Ryan Adams, who's, uh, mm. <laughs> who's got some bad press, obviously. But um, it was a great project. It was fun, and we, we enjoyed that. And, and right on... Um, right on was one of those things that uh, made the grade, and it, yeah, it, I love it too. We it, it works well live, and we haven't played it for years, and that's a good suggestion, I think, as we dip into the catalog to try and pull out songs. That's a good suggestion. I think I'll put that on the, the list. Oh, we we go. also got to do David Letterman behind that song. Right, it was a fun thing too. Well, hey, do we, we appreciate you making time for us this afternoon. Uh, travel safely, and I uh, look forward to seeing you. Hope to get a chance to come up and say hello after the show when you're up here in Maine. Oh, absolutely, Rich. I hope so, too. We'll look for you there on uh, March 16th. That's Dewey Bunnell of America here on Downtown, the podcast. Great talking with him. And, of course, Bill Sanderson as well, the Deadwood movie, scheduled to come out sometime in the month of May. Bill, very careful not to give away... Any spoilers there? Anything that the producers don't want him leaking out? Yeah, I think HBO is uh, keeping a tight, tight lid on this one. I would say so. And uh, but I like the fact that he, he said maybe there could be another one if it goes well. That would be great.
I mean, that's one of those shows that I feel like was, uh, and, and there was some studio stuff at the time that, that sort of led to it not coming back the right. way it was supposed to. Uh, they had planned movies, announced movies, right at the end of the, the third season. And he's such a great guy. So self-effacing. So be on the lookout for that. An official announcement, I'm sure, coming from HBO before too long about the Deadwood movie. Thanks to William Sanderson. Thanks to Dewey Bunnell. Thanks to you. Spread the word. Get your friends to subscribe to Downtown the Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, on our website, downtownwithrichkimball.com. We're brought to you every week by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. We'll see you next time here on Downtown.